Slow Show by Mia Ugly Chapter 2 Three Years Later Golden Globes, February the 9th, 2020 Red Carpet Transcript Hollywood Life Avery! Avery! Do you have a second for Hollywood Life? Oh, hello. Yes, of course. Look at that suit, that bow tie. Very dapper. Oh, thank you very much. Going solo this evening? Yes, unfortunately my partner is back in London with a family matter, so it's just myself tonight, I'm afraid. The rest of the cast is extremely disappointed. Tracy's much more fun than I. How are you feeling about tonight's ceremony? Nervous? Excited? With Warlock up for best TV series? Yes, it's, it's truly incredible. I'm so honoured. We all are. What do you think of your chances? I don't know. I thought this first season was something truly original, and it's such a pleasure to be part of it. And, of course, the award would be nice, but it doesn't really matter. We're just so grateful to be making something that the audience is connecting with. All of us. Now, for anyone who hasn't seen the show, not that I imagine there are many of them left. Oh, bless. That's extremely kind of you. Do you want to tell us a little bit about Warlock? How would you describe it? Because it's kind of between genres. You know, I've heard that before, and I think it's rather accurate. Um, I'd say that Warlock is a historical sort of fantasy. There's a clear Game of Thrones comparison, but I think we tell that sort of epic story on a smaller, more personal scale. It's more about the ordinary people living in this chaotic world. And then you have my character, a priest who's lived a very quiet, scholarly life, finds himself at the centre of things, forced to work with this charlatan, snake oil salesman type character, of course played by the great Anthony Crowley. What's it like working together? It seems like the two of you... Yes? I have a great... You know, that rapport thing you bring to the roles. You can't... Oh, there he... Anthony, can you come and talk to us for a minute? Hi, Angel. Nice uh, bow tie. Hello, dear. So, clearly the two of you have a good working relationship. Nah, can't stand each other. We certainly compliment each other, I think. Our characters on the show are extremely different, of course, and our real personalities are well, rather different as well. For example, I dress like someone from this century. And I'm someone with manners and taste, whereas this one... Anthony, the success of Warlock must be even more exciting for you as it kind of, well, symbolises your comeback to the entertainment industry. What has that been like for you? Well, that's, um, complicated. Has it been hard to give up your bad boy lifestyle? My, what? I don't... You've had some run-ins with the law in the past. Has that been a challenge while filming, in terms of travelling to different countries, different locations? I'm sorry, dear. We really must be moving along. Thank you very much. Have a good evening. As takes Crowley's arm and pulls him down the red carpet like there are wolves at their heels. 
If his hands are tight on Crowley's bicep, if they're warm and strong and Crowley leans into the touch just a bit more than he should, well, he's fucking earned it after that bloody gauntlet. You should have shut that down immediately, as natters under his breath. Tracy's nickname for him has stuck, and stuck hard. What sort of soundbite was that woman even expecting? We had two minutes and she wants to get into... You're just intimidated by my bad boy lifestyle, Crowley says, smirking behind his glasses. Smirking is easy, much easier than talking about the way his heartbeat is still racing, the black spots flashing in front of his eyes. They know, they know, they fucking know you don't belong here. Yes, you're ever so intimidating. Yes, you're ever so intimidating. As drops his arm at that, but that's all right. It had to happen eventually. They couldn't just go around holding hands all through the Emmys. People would get the wrong idea. Or the right idea, in Crowley's case. But he's learned to second-guess his first impulses. They're never good ones. Best replay them over and over again, and then do nothing. That's the ticket. I quite like that jacket on you. Navy blue instead of black, darling. You've clearly lost control. Call me darling again, Crowley wants to say, even though it's unnecessary, as always does. The pet names have only increased in the years they've been working together, but they still feel new every time Crowley hears them. He could live off the dears and darlings, wouldn't need food or booze or even cigarettes. All right, he might still need cigarettes, harder to quit than heroin, as they say. Call me darling again. Crowley holds the thought anyway, sloshes around in it like bath water. That particular word from Avery Fell's mouth feels like slowly having your bones warmed through with blankets out of the dryer, feels like having the pain rubbed out of your aching shoulders with soft, strong hands, feels like coming home. Yeah, yeah, Crowley's fucked, but he could have told you that three years ago, and Christ, has it really been three years? Can't believe it. Feels some days like he's known this man for six thousand. Crowley came from a film family. He's been surrounded by people who loved his parents and loved him through osmosis or some shite all his life. People treated him like he hung the bloody stars, handled him with kid gloves until he drove his life off a cliff. Then they were all too quick to scatter. But even his closest friends back then had nothing on whatever he and As have. Something stupid and messy and real. Three bloody years, and he and As spent more time together than he did with his first boyfriend. More time than he ever spent with Luke. Nothing to see here. Move along. Let's avoid those memories right bloody quick. Do you want some champagne? Nah, I'm all right. Crowley doesn't usually like drinking in these sort of places. He's already anxious, and that makes the champagne disappear a bit too quickly, and then the whole bloody world has to weigh in the next day on social media. Anthony Crowley's wild night out. Instead, Crowley watches As take a glass from the offered tray, sip delicately at it. 
His mouth is a perfect pink Cupid's bow, the kind of mouth that Victorian maidens should have, the kind of mouth that makes Crowley want to... Anyway, moving on. Hmm. As smacks his lips consideringly. Too sweet for my taste. Well, it's the first time those words have ever left your mouth. Oh, stop. I may drop dead from shock. I have a very sophisticated palate, I'll have you know. Crowley is extremely thankful for his dark sunglasses. No doubt. It's hard for him sometimes, most of the time, not to stare like an open flame at this poncy blonde git. The glasses have always been his trademark, and never hurt when it came to hiding how dilated his pupils were. But now, several stints in rehab later, he's covering his eyes for completely different reasons. Don't ever, ever, ever let him see the way you look at him. Some nights when Crowley can't sleep, and cigarettes and yoga and tension-tamer tea, trademark, won't help, he has conversations with himself. One of those conversations goes like this. Crowley, you miserable bastard. Yeah, I'm talking to you, the only one who can hear this voice in their head. Listen the fuck up. One of these days, you're going to get really drunk. You've been really drunk, you know how it goes. But one day you will be drunker, and you will be laughing, and you will be looking at your co-star, possibly in his damnable office with the shelves so crowded it feels like an old bookshop, and you might think to yourself, Self, I should just fucking tell him. You paying attention? Good. This is the tricky bit. You might think... This is love like a shovel in my throat. It's going to choke me if I don't say something. And if he tells me off, at least I'll be able to breathe for a few blessed minutes. You might think, he's smiling at me, and he's sitting close enough on this sofa to touch. I could just lean over and kiss him, lean over and whisper into his hair. I'm a disaster over you. I'd do anything you want if you'd let me. Use me. Tell me what you like. I don't even fucking care as long as I get to touch you. We can pretend it didn't happen in the morning. Please, Angel, my God. Bad idea. Wrong, wrong, wrong. Crowley, when that moment comes, you must shut your mouth and drink a glass of water and get the hell out. Call a cab. Book a lift. No, don't interrupt me. Trust me on this. It won't end well. And it can't end well, and you must do everything you can to avoid tanking this friendship like you tanked your career. Repeat after me. Getting late. Really should be heading off. Call you tomorrow, Angel. All right? Repeat after me. Shite, I've had enough. Better leave while I'm still upright. Let's do brunch on Sunday, eh? Once more with feeling. As I've got to go, early day tomorrow, give my love to Trace. Don't look at me like that. Don't smile at me like that. Don't get that hurt crease in your eyebrow as I get my coat on. Don't make me want to open my mouth and stay. Stay? Okay, forget that last bit. But keep the rest on the tip of your tongue, ready to spit it out when you need it. 
Crowley doesn't particularly like these conversations with himself, but in those fraught, silent evening hours, there isn't anyone else around to talk about this. He gave up talking to bees after that first night of whisky-soaked panic. If they weren't his manager, he'd probably give up talking to them about most things. He occasionally talks to his therapist about it. Pepper's an all right sort of girl, even if she looks too young to drink, let alone have a master's in counselling psychology. She mostly just lets him prattle on at her about anything, throwing in the odd life-destroying comment that Crowley tries to dodge like a dart. He's pretty good at it by now. It's all in the hips. He and Az are escorted to their seats with the rest of the cast and crew that managed invites. Anathema raises an eyebrow when the two of them come in together, and Crowley bares his teeth at her like some sort of animal. He just makes her laugh, which is unbloody fair. Crowley was an intimidating person once, he's sure of it. Now he just feels like a wobbly snake with hair and an affinity for black leather. The two of you came together, Anathema whispers as Crowley moves down the row past her. Fans will be pleased. Shut it. The woman's a brilliant actor, but she has, as the kids say, no bloody chill at all. Crowley knows there are people watching the show who have some strong, surprisingly erotic opinions about his character and Avery's. Viewers who light up the... what? Chat rooms? Is that still a thing? whenever Az calls him dear in an interview, or when the damn word angel slips from his mouth. He got into the habit of using it on set, and he hasn't got out of it. The first time it happened was on Graham fucking Norton, but Az was a guest too, and just smoothly followed it up with yes, darling, and it got a good laugh. Ah, very ha. Bloody hilarious that anyone would ever think there was any possibility that someone like Avery would ever. Anyway, the whole fan thing is charming, but it makes Crowley panic a bit, sweat through the collars of his shirts. Like, is there something in the way he looks at us? Is there something he's revealing, even when he's trying not to? Some wet, rank secret rising up through his floorboards and growing black mould in his cellar, up his staircase, through the entire fucking house? But no, there can't be. That's the end of it. Cut that ribbon and curl the edges of it. Thank heavens we're sitting together. As darts that rabbity glance at him, the one that stopped being offensive years ago and is now incredibly revoltingly endearing. Are you all right? Yeah, fine. Crowley drops into his seat like his strings were cut, crossing his spidery black legs at the knee. He lowers his sunglasses to the bridge of his nose so that he can actually see what's going on around him. The lights are dim and there are limits to his powers. Stop being so twitchy. You'll get me started. As taps him lightly on the arm. Crowley contemplates snarking back at him, but doesn't have the energy for it. Sorry. You know how I get. I do. As his tap turns into a squeeze, his hand strong and tight on the bones of Crowley's shoulder. His eyes are so achingly gentle that it hurts a little. 
Crowley feels that burn in the back of his throat and right below his collarbone, cauterizing a wound. You needn't worry, though. You're doing marvellously. And Crowley has no response to that. He chews at the corner of his mouth, tries to remember how the absolute fuck he ended up here. It clearly started the first day they met, that blasted premiere screening and Az's missing leather coat. There wasn't a strike of lightning or anything, more like a crack slowly spreading through a dam, growing imperceptibly larger, until one day Crowley looked across the set at Az, getting mic'd up, chatting and smiling with the sound girl, and thought, Holy shit, I'm already underwater. Oh my God, I've been drowning for months and I didn't even know it, and now I'm so far gone that I can't even see the surface. Looked across the set and thought, Oh, fuck me. I'm in love with him. No, 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 Crowley stutters over Az's body, pressing his hands to his chest. A blossom of red starts to unfurl like petals against the man's white shirt. Az is lying on the forest floor, face dove grey. His fingers are digging into the pine-needled earth, and his eyes are wide and intent on Crowley's. It's fine, Az says quietly, and Crowley's longing hands swim with blood. I'm all right. All, all right, Crowley murmurs back to him, the word rattling like a bullet between his teeth. Am I bleeding? Just a bit. It's okay. Hey, keep your eyes open, yeah? Your hand. Don't move it. As lifts one of his and lets it drop heavily over Crowley's. Just there. It's warm. You're warm. Hang on, all right? Don't... As his eyes flicker closed, but he is smiling. Just there. Don't. I can't. Tears are making it difficult to see. Crowley lets one spill down his cheek, bites at the corner of his mouth. His hands, his hands are wine-dark, and he can't breathe, can't move, can't possibly stop trying to hold Avery's ruined chest together. "'Cut!' Michael shouts from behind the camera. "'Oh, my God! The two of you!' As lets out a shallow breath beneath Crowley's shaking palms. "'I'm tearing up over here,' Michael continues. "'Hold for stills, OK? Just a sec!' Crowley does not lift his hands from Az's chest, feels the soft thumping of his heartbeat beneath the damp shirt. Az opens his eyes. At last, at last, let me look at you. And Crowley grins down at him as the photographer and makeup and wardrobe people circle like sharks, cameras clicking. You're meant to be dying, Crowley says through tight lips. Bit difficult with you dripping all over my face. It's called acting. These are real tears, Angel. This is my Oscar real moment right here. My apologies. I clearly meant to say how impressive you are. I cry easy these days. Ducks, babies, that terrible sweater you had on last week. 
Yes, I seem to remember wailing, gnashing of teeth, rending of clothing. That's your weekend you're remembering. As lets out a startled laugh, the tips of his ears going pink. Crowley's smile spreads slow as a fire through wet leaves. Foul fiend! You love it. Stop flirting! Anathema mutters as she walks past to her mark. I'm telling Tracy. Can't two hot-blooded heterosexual men lie on the forest floor together, covered in each other's blood and tears, without getting accused of flirting these days? Crowley calls back to her, which makes the first AD choke on her laughter. As does not laugh, however. He's closed his eyes again, mouth going flat and still. Getting back into character, probably. Consummate professional that he is. Good for him. Crowley is not so professional. Crowley is a hungry, bone-starved thing. He takes the two seconds he thinks he can get away with to study as his eyelids. The skin would be so soft there, lined gently with veins the colour of lilacs. Given the chance, Crowley would press his lips to them, maybe, if it was something as liked. He'd kiss one first, then the other. Slow, grasping kisses that would wake As from even the loveliest of dreams, have him opening his eyes and his mouth, smiling. OK, we're good, thank you. Michael interrupts that completely appropriate and platonic moment. We're going to block the next scene now, then. Avery, you can get changed. Help up, Crowley offers, pulling his wet hands back from his co-star's soft chest. There's a hint of trouble in Avery's eyes as he opens them again, a crumpled paper sort of look. Thank you, dear. When their hands touch, they're both wet with fake blood, food colouring and syrup profanely sweet. Crowley has a sudden stupid wish that the red of it will never wash off, that he'll carry Avery Fell around on his palms forever. So, Crowley's in love. Doesn't matter. It's fine. He hasn't been in love all that much before, to be honest. I'd been going through a bit of a dry spell, a forty years in the desert stretch before he met Az. Crowley had given up on feeling anything like that again, thought that his heart had grown a shell around it like a beetle's, thought he'd got older, got better, maybe possibly learned from his mistakes. That'd be a fine thing. Learning something? What a thought. Turns out his heart had been storing it up, all that ragged-edged, burnt-fingered longing, just to bring it back full force. Like pulling on an elastic. You keep pulling and pulling, and the longer it goes without snapping, you think, ah, maybe it'll never snap. No, you idiot. The longer it takes, the sharper the eventual sting is going to be. Crowley wasn't ready for it. He's old and tired, can't manage the weight of this longing. Leave it to the young. He isn't a bloody teenager. Though sometimes he still feels like one, feels those pinpricks of electricity under his skin, like his blood is trying to boil out of his pores. 
He remembers that sensation from his early days of acting, a feeling that drove him out late, 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 scratching at his arms, tongue down the throat of anyone that would have him, tattoos from strangers in dodgy back rooms, booze at first, and then things a bit harder, sharper, anything to make him feel still for a bloody second, anything to make his skin stop singing, to feed that licorice and shark-tooth mouth that lived below his breastbone and was always, always starving. Pepper says that's called anxiety and depression, possibly undiagnosed ADHD. She wants to talk about his parents and his self-esteem and how yoga is going. Yeah, hard pass on all of that. Warlock doesn't win Best Series. Well, just an honour to be nominated. Isn't that what you're supposed to say? There's an after-party that HBO puts on at the plaza, and As gives Crowley a lift there, and when they get to the valet parking, they just look at each other. Don't move. There's a stream of people milling about at the entrance. Crowley can see lights and flashes going off, and all the beautiful people waiting to cast their clear glass judgments on him, and a chorus of no's rise up in his bloodstream. And Would you rather, I don't know, come back to mine? As asks. Crowley can feel the other man's breath against his jawline. Thank God, yes. Yes. So that's what they do. As owns a place in town for when he's filming, a two-bedroom mid-century out in Silver Lake. Crowley has been there before, even stayed there once or twice by himself when As was off doing some other project between seasons. It's nothing like As's London place, which is cluttered and cosy and smells like him. The scent of old paper and Earl Grey tea and sandalwood all muddled together and poured over ice. The L.A. place doesn't smell like that. It smells like fucking lemon pledge. It's a damn sight cleaner. As is terrible manager Gabriel is a bit obsessive about that sort of thing. Has housekeepers in weekly even when no one's staying there. Gabriel furnished the place as well. Picked out all the clean lined furniture the West Elm metal lamps, the wood-framed sofa. Everything shines with polish, and Crowley absolutely hates it. He also has a key to the front door. There's something a bit unsettling there. As gave it to him the first time Crowley flew out to L.A. by himself, said, No one's there, plenty of room, may as well make some use of it. They had just wrapped the first season, still on edge about what the show would look like in the end, whether anyone would give a damn. And Crowley has never been good with anticipation. Started chain-smoking and biting his nails and fidgeting so much he was getting blurry around the edges. Bees booked him into a week-long meditation retreat. More punishment than anything else. And he came back from L.A. at least a little bit less blurry, and As told him to keep the key. You're welcome at any time, dear. What a fucking thing to say. Sometimes Crowley keeps that key in his pocket, rubs it like a worry stone between his thumb and ring finger. He's probably wearing parts of it down smooth, but whatever. 
likes the weight of it in his hand, likes knowing that someone like Avery Fell thinks he's welcome any time. What would you like to drink? As is rummaging behind the fully stocked bar, jacket off and shirt sleeves rolled up to the elbows. Wine? Something stronger? I have that yoishi single malt you seem to enjoy before. Whatever you want, Angel. Crowley sits on the leather sofa and tries not to get too dry-mouthed over Az's forearms, the slight curvature of the muscle, the dusting of gold hair. Hmm. Malbec? Uh, yeah, sure. Az pours them both a glass of it and hands one to Crowley. I'll just ring up Tracy, see how her mum made out. She'll be up already, I think. It'll be a minute. He touches Crowley's shoulder with one warm hand as he heads off into the bedroom. Tell her hi from me, Crowley calls after him, and when the bedroom door closes, he drinks half his glass of wine without pausing for breath. Tell her hi from me. Tell her all the terrible things I want to do to her husband. Not technically her husband, but close enough. Tell her all the obscenities I want to bite like a plum against your bloody forearms. Crowley drums his fingers on his wine glass, can't stay still. Thinks about finishing the rest in one swallow, topping it up before Az gets back. Forces himself to wait on it. In the bedroom he can hear Az's muffled voice, the sound of laughter stuffed with cotton balls. Christ! In the near dark the L.A. house gives Crowley the creeps. It's cold and impersonal, and he always feels a bit like a stranger here. There's a soft hum of traffic from whatever freeway's nearest, and Crowley keeps waiting for Charles Manson to kick down the door and murder him. The only presence of Az in this space at all is the stack of expensive writing paper on the teak coffee table, a couple of blots of ink marking their clean white surfaces. There's a few words written down as well, crossed out dramatically. Crowley contemplates getting off the couch, going over there to snoop. That would be a bad bloody look. Az writes letters, surprising no one. Such a cliché that sometimes Crowley thinks he must have made it up in a fever dream, or just assumed it and forgotten it was never confirmed. But no, Aziraphale possesses sheaves of thick Clairefontaine writing paper and several custom pilot pens worth more than Crowley's life. After the first season of Warlock wrapped, Crowley arrived back home in London to find a wax-sealed envelope waiting for him. He didn't open it for a good few hours, convinced it would be a threat or something, some blood pact he agreed to whilst high out of his tree that was coming to claim his firstborn. But no, it was just a fussy actor with beautiful curlicue handwriting inviting him to dinner. They were already spending most of their evenings together while they were filming, after that letter, they started spending their evenings in London together, too. Sometimes Tracy would be there, but mostly it was just the two of them, drinking their way through both their wine cellars and being absolute idiots together. It didn't make a bit of sense how quickly As became an indispensable figure in his life. 
It was something that Crowley couldn't suss out, but barely put into words. It was just ineffable. There, all done. As comes out of the bedroom, tucking his phone away and sitting in the chair opposite Crowley. How's she doing? Well enough. Her mum's out of surgery. Did well. Tracy's mostly upset she wasn't able to come and meet Trevor Noah. You know how he is about him. Crowley smirks. He does. She sends her love, of course, as continues with a fond roll of his eyes. Sure she does. Maybe to Trevor Noah. Well, to him, certainly. You're an afterthought, I'm afraid. But still a thought. How generous of her. How's the Malbec? Avery eyes Crowley's half-empty glass. You clearly detest it. Clearly. You have the worst taste, I swear. They pass a couple of hours this way, as they always do, talking about nothing and finishing a couple of Az's best bottles of red. White gives Crowley a headache, always has. There's a strange urgency tonight, though, and Crowley can guess why. He's back in London after this, and Az is staying in the States to do some voiceover work. Then who knows when they'll see each other again. They will, though, they always do. Their paths always seem to twine back around and through and into each other's. Once they accidentally met in St James's Park while Crowley was jogging. Christ, he hates jogging. And As was feeding the ducks. Of course he was feeding the ducks. Once they ran into each other in an oyster bar in Brooklyn. Grand army, great cocktails, when neither even knew the other was in the city. Let me tempt you. As had started, stopped, blushed, and Crowley hadn't needed to be asked twice. Some awful part of Crowley's brain could call this fate, if he wanted to, but he doesn't. Like he said, he's not a teenager. Dolphins have brains the size of, well, bloody big brains. And whales... Brain City, Wales. What the fuck is Crowley even talking about? God, he's an absolute mess when he's drunk and in love. As is less of a mess. His wine glass is empty, and the smile on his mouth is some sort of deadly geometry, an equation meant to cut Crowley's throat while he's sleeping. And let's not even talk about the crease between his eyebrows. Don't go there. Crowley realises he is drunk. He's been really drunk before, but tonight he's drunker. And with a punch to his chest like a kick drum beat, he thinks, Self, I should just fucking tell him. What could it hurt? As is a great bloke, wonderful friend, he'd never be cruel. He would let Crowley down gently. He would wince and stammer and apologise, and it would all be fine. In the end, it would be fine. And Crowley could build a ladder from that kindness and climb the hell out of this hole, this pit. would start to move on, could recover, would get the fuck over this. Better head out, he says, getting to his feet like a sailor still finding his legs. Better... Yeah, Slade. Are you certain? 
You're staying downtown, aren't you? It's fine. Crowley tells himself it's fine. He fishes his phone out of his, maybe a bit too tight, trouser pockets, tries to clumsily text for a cab. How did his thumbs get so big? It's no problem. As long as you're sure. There's a guest room in the flat, of course, but Crowley would never take it, and Az has never offered it to him. They don't have to speak about it, don't have to sweep the dishes off the table and lay out the wretched cards that illustrate why it would be a terrible idea. They both already know. Anthony Crowley, unrepentant homosexual, seen leaving Avery Fell's L.A. home this morning after cosy night in. I'll see you tomorrow, though, as asks, getting up from the chair and brushing at the non-existent wrinkles on his trousers. Why, well, I don't know. I was a pretty early flight. Too early for the likes of you. I'm a very early riser. Don't even start. It was like pulling teeth in Belfast to get you there for call time. Those were some late nights. I was still recovering. In the uncanny yellow light, Crowley watches him. Avery looks tired, tilted vaguely downwards. Crowley wants to dig his fingers into the meat of his thigh and push his legs apart and kneel there. All right, then, I believe you. It gets easier, the not telling, the not speaking of it, the never speaking of it. Ring me when you're back in London, if you like. Crowley barely notices the ache of the silence any more. It's like nerve pain. It only flares up now and again. And when it does, it's bloody brutal. But when it's gone, you can kind of put it to the side, bury it in the back garden, let it rot there like a dead bird. All right, as repeats quietly. He sees Crowley to the door like a proper gentleman. As is nothing if not proper. And Crowley is anything but a gentleman. In the back seat of the taxi, Crowley thumbs through photos from the awards show, trying not to look too long at any of the ones of him and As, trying not to study the way As smiles at him, that ridiculous Christmas morning look he gets sometimes when the two of them are talking together. It's embarrassing, is what it is, and it means nothing. Crowley scans a couple of the photos Bees has already emailed him, and gnashes his teeth together, tells himself not to read into it, calls himself all kinds of the worst names. But there, that look, right there, surely that isn't the way a completely straight person would look at his co-star. Fuck right off, he hisses, and then winces when the cabbie turns around. Oh, not, not you, no, sorry, it's been a long night. The hotel room is another disaster, but one that Crowley's prepared for. He knew what was coming, particularly after the second bottle of wine was opened. He's tried to put some limits around these thoughts in his own private spaces, in his London flat where Az and Tracy have both been, had supper with him, played cards. He can't do this sort of thing there. It's disrespectful or something. 
but hotels are liminal spaces where nothing really exists, and no one ever has to know or admit to anything, and therefore Crowley is allowed to work some things out, so to speak. You fucking... yes, he says, as he fucks his fist and tries to think of anyone other than his straight-ish co-star. Nah, it's a lost cause, just like Crowley, entirely lost. Would you look at me with those patient eyes, patient mouth? Would you touch me with those soft, soft hands, all smoothed with cocoa butter, because you're such a fussy bastard? No, forget that last part. I don't mind. I want you fussy and smooth-fingered with expensive lotions. I want you pretentious and telling me about your vintage French poetry books. I want you anxious and rattling around a cup of Earl Grey tea. I want you in every way it is possible to want someone who doesn't want you back. Fucking please, you... Oh, gorgeous. Please, let me... He imagines getting on his knees for Avery, sucking him off so sweetly that he'd never be satisfied with another person's red, wet mouth. Never again. He imagines Avery compliant and wanting beneath him, undoing buttons, spreading his legs. Please, fuck me, please, as soon as you can. Or maybe it wouldn't be like that at all. That's fine. You take Avery snappish and unsure, even a bit bitchy, telling Crowley what to do. Oh, fuck. Forcing his face down, bending him over, hissing against the back of his neck. You're mine, aren't you? And I'll do what I like with you. Shit. Fuck. He's going to come. Angel! Crowley gasps as he spurts over his knuckles, mortified with pleasure. Yes! Oh, God! Yes! It all goes quiet for a bit after that. Crowley's skin stops singing. Not for long enough, but a bit. Later on, he forces himself out of bed, forces himself to shower, scrubs himself raw with the water as hot as it will go, and the appropriate amount of self-loathing. It gets easier, the not telling, the not speaking of it, the never speaking of it. Crowley swears this to himself over and over and over a bloody again, and hopes some day it will be true. Slow Show will continue in Chapter 3.